0: as we come to the end of the first week of Brighton Fringe. I'm actually not in Brighton at all. I'm up in Essex, and it's the first opportunity I've had for a while to visit my mum. I'm currently walking in a beautiful park called Claybury Park, which is really just a forest that was reclaimed from a lot of wasteland and has been, say, pretty well managed. There's some gorgeous walks here, and it's quiet here on a Saturday morning, but my thoughts are turning back to Brighton Fringe at the end of week one, and here in episode three of The Fringe and Review, there is a nostalgic feel to the episode because we're going to talk to uh, a performer who plays a story really, the story of Paul Simon. And there's quite a few Paul Simon shows actually that have been at The Fringe, at least three I can remember. Um, and there's also a show that brings Judy Garland and her daughter Liza Minnelli together in another show that celebrates their work. And these are not impersonation shows. These are shows that dive fairly deeply into their lives. And as I nearly trip over in some mud here, I'm thinking about Brighton Fringe emerging from lockdown again, and that line called Past, Present, Future, where you're gonna see shows that have before lockdown, but during lockdown, also shows have been created that look back look back in history, others that are very much exploring now, what we're going through right now. And because of the rise of digital theatre, a very much increased number of shows that are in the realms of visionary science fiction, both online and now face-to-face as well. But in this episode we continue to talk to fringe showmakers, art makers, theatre makers and I hope you enjoy the episode. Now as I head off now, we're heading uphill and the sun is coming through. The trees, I think it rained last night, but it's gonna be a hot day today, both up here in Essex and down in Brighton. So enjoy Brighton Fringe. I'm a huge fan of both Liza Minnelli and Judy Garland. Tell us about the show.
1: Right, okay. Um, the show is obviously about Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli. And for people who don't know that, Judy Garland is Liza Manelli's mother or was Liza Minnelli's mother. Um, I wrote the show just over 10 years ago. Um, Basically, I was doing shows in the West End and a lot of American audiences used to come backstage and just compare me all the time and say, oh, you sound like Liza. And so I've always been a huge fan of Judy Garland. And so thought, well, OK, if you can't beat them, join them. And So I wrote, um, I wrote Judy and Liza. Yeah. And we, it's, been tour, it's been out on tour in all over the world for the past 10 years.
0: And I guess you had to go into, you know, the relationship between them by bringing them onto the stage in a show together. You know, that's quite a fascinating thing to Ab- do.
1: Absolutely. Well, one of the reasons again why I wrote the show, it's based it's loosely based on the nineteen sixty-four concert that they did together at the London Palladium, when um Judy was struggling a bit vocally and asked Liza to join her. So it was a joint it was a joint concert. And when you watch that concert with it's you know, there's plenty of video footage of it, it's fascinating because Liza is is sort of on the rise um and you you fit you you physically watch judy watch liza you know what i mean and you see her make little corrections to liza and the the psychology behind it is is fascinated you know um so that that's what our show is loosely based around but in the first half um liza kind of tells judy's story and then in the second half judy tells liza's How,
0: how do you get into the skin of a person like that an icon
1: How do you get in? Well, I've got one particular phrase that immediately puts me in Liza Minnelli mode and that's fabulous. (laughs) As as soon as I say that, I feel her in my body, you know. But at the same time, you've got to be careful that you don't become a parody of her, you know. So it's, we don't, we definitely say that we're not a tribute, you know, we're not tribute artists. It's, uh, so... There's an essence of them rather than we're we're totally copying them. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
0: Well, I guess it's that difference, which often in theatre when people play famous characters, is the difference between impersonation and portrayal.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's you just said it much better than I did. But that's basically what I was trying to say. Yeah.
0: So what does the rehearsal room look like?
1: Well, we've obviously been doing the show a long time now, so it's kind of honed. So the rehearsal process isn't as as um, as long as it once was, um, because we have the show in different formats. We're doing obviously doing the festival version at Brighton, but tomorrow, today and tomorrow, we're doing the full two act versions in New Brighton and in London. So. Um, so obviously we have we have rehearsals to remind ourselves which version we're doing and what the differences are. We have in some in some places we have AV and in other places we don't. So you know the rehearsal process is pretty much dependent on which version of the show we're doing.
0: And I guess the new the newer generation, they're sometimes called you know the millennials and Generation Z. Yeah. They're, they're a sort of retro generation. They're they're discovering these people, aren't they?
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think you know when you think of the icons I mean I'm in my late 40s and I've been lucky enough to live through you know so many icons and I I don't think it's the same these days you know I think because of technology and everything it's a it's a lot more you know it's faster so people don't have the longevity that they did then um, and you don't discover about their lives in the same way Um, so uh, yeah I think that, sorry, I've completely forgotten what the original question was. What what, what was the original question?
0: Well, it's OK. I'm going to go on to another question, and <laughs> you have pretty much answered that one. Um, also, it can't be easy playing these characters because they haven't had easy lives.
1: No. Uh, and no. so
0: in terms, it, it of, is... in terms of that, have you gained any insights into those human beings from playing them?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Judy, obviously, Ju- Judy died at 46, and she looked more like 64. You know, she had a really difficult life with with uh, drugs that started from childhood you know she was encouraged by by mgm to take drugs just to keep her awake and and sleep and keep her weight down you know so bless her she didn't have so much chance <laughs> of rectifying that whereas i think Liza's done fairly well considering you know she's 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 i don't know how, how old she is at the minute is it late 70s um yeah. but you know she's done really well to to come through all that turbulence but what our show is, it's more of like a celebration of them. We do touch on, obviously touch on the tragedies, but it's the fact that, you know, the the lasting memories and the songs that they've made famous and the fact that those songs are very indicative of their lives, you know, and it's a very moving show. and um, Also the mirror image of daughter, mother and daughter in their careers and the fact that in a way Liza has managed to come through it, you know, and... Um, and, you know, the ghost of her mother and what drives her. And, you know, it's the fan- fascinating lives to, to portray mm. and to delve into.
0: Final question. What's your mm. invitation then for people to come and see both of them at uh, Brighton Fringe?
1: Well, you know, it covers so many bases. If you love musical theatre, you'll love it. If you love Judy, you'll love it. If you love Liza, you'll love it. If you If you love music, you know, the songs are fantastic it's very moving we don't it's not it's not a depressing show you know it's it's moving but it's not depressing it's very celebratory, celebratory. and also yeah. you know with where we are at in life at the minute with covid and and trying to come out of that it's it's a it's the perfect show for that because it is all about you know come to the cabaret let's start enjoying ourselves again let's let's be careful but you know Mm. let's let's dip our toe in the water and and it's a really good way of of doing that
0: emma thanks so much for talking to fringe review
1: that's okay that's my pleasure thank you bye
0: bye i'm having a nice quiet morning wander around The Warren, which is much bigger than it was a couple of years back, and it just oozes creativity in the design of a venue that has a lot of different theatre spaces. And uh, as I walk past a a bar that's got a full size aeroplane on it, not, not a jumbo jet, but nevertheless part of that creativity, this creative urge combined with being careful and kind to the people that are here. Um, and the Warren has learned how to do that well. And there are arrows on the floor, and there are um, barcodes, QR codes, with NHS track and trace and the ability to order drinks to have them brought to you rather than having crowded bars. Um, and children running around, either going in to or coming out of shows that are happening here at the Fringe from morning until night and from morning for the children. And um, there are trees here, of course, here in Valley Gardens and uh, venues down to the Old steam where the Brighton Spiegel tent is and the Fringe is alive again but um, perhaps the thing that stands out most is the venue made of oil drums which is just being set up perhaps for a show later and uh, the Fringe is back and the Warren is back and the Warren represents a, a hub a bit like you get at the Edinburgh Fringe, um, a hub that's trying to, going to use the word, you know, force its way out of lockdown. And to be free and the challenge here is going to be for people that have to follow tracks on the floor and there are a lot of signs about what you can and can't do and lots of words about please follow the one-way system is trying to find that balance between the freedom that was always at the heart of the arts and the need for rules to keep us all safe in these times that are still uncertain but uh it feels good the sun is out and here in the morning there are literally Shows after shows after shows, as usual, to come and see at the Warren with comedy and theatre and music and uh, all kinds of different performance. So this is running from the 27th of May to the 11th of July. Um, So it's a longer fringe than usual, but certainly I'm feeling inspired and glad that even though I'm not a big fan of huge fringe, of hub fringe, of what can sometimes feel like corporate fringe, this is a statement to itself to the community an invitation to the community to come back to fringe and to laugh but also frown and think from the theatre and the Warren has always tried to hold a candle for theatre to create a safe space for it to exist and it's in a difficult place there for the theatre people the purists because it has to uh, make that viable without huge amounts of funding Um, and though people like the Warren have had Uh, continuity funding from the government as we try and get through COVID. Uh, That's not the funding that's needed to create sustainable fringe going forward and a fringe review, theatre. Theatre that doesn't always make the money. And so you have to cross-subsidise from your bigger shows to enable the smaller shows to happen. That's the long-term stuff. And I don't know what the spreadsheet looks like here. But what I can tell is there was a piece of paper, maybe physical, maybe virtual, where people started to sketch this space out. And if you do nothing else it might be a nice thing to do to come here as i am here in the morning to grab a cup of tea or a bit later and have a drink with your friends uh, while it's quieter in the daytime if that's what you prefer if you're one of the people that wants it to buzz well the challenge here uh, but certainly looking here at the distance of tables from each other is to be able to come when it's buzzing in the evening and to feel safe it is a warren this time i'm wandering around here And there are little passageways, but passageways, I say little, big enough to still feel safe and socially distanced. How that works when this place is full up, I don't know. Um, But there's more than one theatre space. Each one is unique, each one is different. And of course, the Warren is also running a venue on Brighton Seafront as well. Um, So there's plenty to do, plenty to see. And of course, the part of the fringe that's emerging here is it's not as big as it was. And does it need to be as big as it was? Can't it be just what it is? Um, big is not always beautiful. The Warren is very big. I don't know if it's beautiful. I'm thinking about Mad Max. The main theatre space reminds me of a Roman gladiatorial place, a place for Shakespeare. Um, There's a lot of metal, there's a lot of wood. I'm standing on some sand actually in one of the spaces and it helps that the Sun is shining and it's not pouring with rain. Here's the Warren here at Brighton Fringe. Now, I'm joined by Gary Jones. Um, Gary, I'm going to start off with a, I don't know if it's a stinker of a question, but it's certainly a slightly elaborate one, which is over the years as uh, the editor of Fringe Review, I've spoken to a lot of performers who tell the story of legends and icons, be it from the world of film, you know, books, uh, music. Now, one of the things that happens is when those performers get older and they're still performing... And yes. the performers performing their work. In a lot Ooh. of cases, the performers and the tributes are actually better than the performers that are still alive. Wow. Okay. But, but, with, <laughs> with, but I just recently saw on on YouTube a performance uh, boxer uh, with the the real live Paul Simon. Now, I guess in his late seventies, eighties, along with Joe, yeah. right. and backing them was the amazing guitarist Richard Thompson. Um, yeah. So kind of a, an amazing thing. But there is Paul Simon. Uh, performing actually even better than he's ever done. Um, now, where do you pick up when you tell the story of an icon who's not only been an icon for people as they grew up, but is still also performing? Well, for for me, it all began uh, with my
2: my dad's uh, love of Paul Simon. So I pick it up right at the very beginning. Um, to, well, probably just after Tom and the Tom and Jerry phase. Um, more into the songbook phase because i grew up listening to er- everything but paul simon but my dad uh, used to play him constantly and it used to bug the life of me because i wanted to listen to the smiths and the clash and every everything in between um, but i eventually revisited it because my dad kept saying to me have, have you listened to the songbook i've got the original songbook album here so i went back and listened and realized what he what an incredible singer-songwriter he he actually is and was, you know, at the time, the early days, phenomenal songwriter. So out of that, uh, a show was born because I'd been compared to him for so long with my own singer-songwriter material and avoided it like the plague
3: mm.
2: um, because, you know, you're trying to make your own way in music. So we we pick it up at the songwriter, at this, the songbook Um phase which is obviously at the beginning of Paul's solo uh, career or he he completed that as a solo album right mm. the way through the Simon and Garfunkel years right the way back to his solo years so it's um, it's 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 a hell of a journey but it's really my my journey and my discovery of Paul's music so it's not a tribute as such as in a tribute show where you would you would go to see uh people playing Simon and Garfunkel it is literally me telling my journey and discovery of Paul Simon's songs and that seems to really resonate with people.
0: Um and, yeah and so what would what's your kind of feeling, your kind of connection with him now that he's still alive and still performing?
2: Oh it's 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 um how can I say I just I'll give you an example. I'm right in the middle of rehearsals with Still Crazy After All These Years. And when I when I play the songs and I've come come back recently to rehearse the show again for for the brighton fringe festival it just puts a smile on my face it really just puts a smile on my face that's the best thing i can say about it it's um my relationship with him i've got pictures of him in my studio ones with him looking um disgruntled and ones with him looking really happy so i <laughs> i've constantly got him on my shoulder literally watching what i'm doing um it probably sounds a little bit odd that, but but it's but it's it's really good inspiration you know for me. But
0: I guess Gary what that's telling me and and for me as someone that's reviewed work a lot I'm yeah. feeling kind of I'm glad because what I think I'm hearing is that if Paul Simon very much alive today slipped into the back row of one of your gigs he'd very much see him but he'd also see Gary. Well the the whole reasoning behind it right from day one
2: was my wife said uh, right from day one um this has to be a show where if Paul slipped into the theatre he would be really happy to watch it because there's no real um you know me having a go at Paul in the show it literally is telling the story there's a little bit of um Carrie Fisher and himself um, obviously because relationships weren't his forte I suppose you know in the early years and, and mid years obviously he's quite happy with Edie Backel now but we tell a little bit of a little bit of that but I think he wouldn't be offended and we played in the um, Soho Playhouse in New York a year and a half ago and in the December it was and it was um, I was really panicking in case that that happened because I'm originally from Liverpool I now live in North Wales but a guy coming over from the UK to Paul Simon's backyard effectively playing his songs that he wrote and he's got, and I'm telling the stories of those songs to a a New York audience. I, I've never been so nervous in my life. I promise mm-hmm. you. Um, but but the reception was just incredible. They they really appreciated the fact that a guy had got off his backside and mm-hmm. and did that, you know, from the UK and came over. Um, that really the stories resonated with them. The songs it took many of them back to sitting next to the dance set record players with. All of the Simon and Garfunkel albums, the songbook obviously or, original, mm-hmm. um, his original works, and then uh, right the way through to his to his new uh, material, which which is really really good. We don't touch on that as as much. Um, we go as far as Stranger to Stranger, which is an album from two thousand and seventeen. So we do cover a big era. And one thing I do notice when we play the show is. You do get some Paul Simon fans who come up afterwards and say, right. "Why didn't you play this song? Or why didn't you play that song?" But you you can't please everybody, and it's impossible uh, to do that. It really is because his catalog is he it's enormous. But it's also important you please yourself. That's the whole point of of it, you know. I'm getting a lot of satisfaction. I've learned a lot of um, new techniques with learning the songs because I've learned. In total, for the bigger show, we're performing the 75 minute show in Brighton.
1: Mm. I've
2: learned a lot of different finger techniques, different styles, and it's it's only enhanced my playing. and, and we are quite similar. I, I do get that now. I don't um, I didn't originally. I'm very flattered when people say that we are similar in stature. Uh, similar playing styles, similar soft vocal delivery, I would say, and I think pe- once people pick up on something small, it it, it gets exaggerated uh, potentially by by them, you know. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad mm-hmm. thing. But but I must I uh, point out that I'm not actually trying to be him. I'm very much trying to be myself.
0: What's the difference for you between portrayal and and um, you know impersonation? Um. That's a really, really tough question though. I mean you're saying you're being yourself, but I'm, I guess I'm, some people have told me that, you know, whenever you read a book by an author, you go into their head as well as your own. I yeah, mean, massively, you know, massively. There's him and there's you on the stage. How do you how do you kind of bring that together? Um I think the only way to do it is 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 to be myself.
2: That that sounds like a probably a bit of a cop out of a of an answer. But I think if you uh, the, the show is definitely it's it's not a like it's like I said originally, it's not me trying to be a tribute. So if I if I try to be Paul on stage, the show would not be what it is. And that's why it's been very successful wherever we've played. You know, people have they're being very warm towards me because because I am being myself singing his songs mm. uh in the show, but also giving not not giving my spin but obviously it must be a little bit of my spin because yeah. it's not Paul delivering them
0: well I guess I th- I'm saying and this is just me I'd yeah. want it to be a lot of your spin and particularly when they're still alive yes yeah well to, to be honest with you there's there's
2: there are stories that that obviously run through there a lot of it is about uh, Paul but there's a few things in there about me that entwine along mm. along that path and a bit about my dad you know my dad was obsessed with him and he used to play I, – I, I think I used to put the pillow of my head in the end because I'd heard Bridge Over Troll Water that many times, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but also uh, Graceland, I used to hear Graceland all the time, the album. But actually playing it now for me gives me so much joy because you, you're trying to perform witchcraft, really, trying to perform that song mm-hmm. as a solo because there's so many different Finger movements, you're playing the bass line, the the lead, the rhythm, all at the same time. You're tapping your foot to um to give it your spin. Because I would not want to do what Paul and his band have done. I am definitely giving giving it my spin. It's coming from me.
0: And from that enormous repertoire, then how do you mm. choose? It,
2: uh, oh. That's really really difficult because originally the the very very first show we did was getting on for an hour and fifty minutes, and then we trimmed it down. I'm trying to let go of some of the songs like Duncan, Slip Sliding Away, the the classics, the real classics. But you have to, you have to. Originally, I the show was written in chron, uh, chronological order because that was, that is what made sense to me because that's how I sat down and listened to the songs through the years the albums that my dad gave me Um, so that made perfect sense to think okay well this resonates this goes with what i'm trying to say here or what i would say here Mm -hmm. it's a very very difficult process and it it took me two years to actually to to get that bit all together and, and level in my mind if that makes sense. It wasn't it was it, it wasn't straightforward at all. And I, I did take my time. I tried to rush it originally, not rush it intentionally, tried to put, put it together to see what it was like, but it was so disjointed.
3: Yeah. But
2: but now it, it works, mm-hmm. it flows. It, you're going from The Sound of Silence, the Cathy song, right the way through to Only Living Boy in New York, to mm-hmm. Still Crazy. You, you know, the, there are some beautiful songs in there. There are some less known probably to a, an audience that has heard Graceland and maybe checked out Paul's back catalogue, songs like April Come, She Will. It's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song about um, his, his girlfriend at the time's moods, which were Cathy uh, Chitty was his girlfriend at the time. Yeah. But to put it into a song and make it sound so beautiful shows how incredibly skillful he is, mm-hmm. not only as a songwriter, but a, a performer. Just
0: oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say also <laughs> t- talking to a lot of performers this year. Yeah, and dread- the dreaded word lockdown. I mean, quite yeah. quite a few performers, but I'd say the large minority actually, or the small minority, um, have just got thwarted by lockdown. Almost went into paralysis. I jokingly yeah. they hung themselves upside down like you know Dracula, um, waiting yeah. for full moon and they've just picked up where they left off but so many others have said this year has sort of changed them has had an impact and they thought they might come out where they were left off with the show that they wanted to do but in some ways it's changed them what impact has it had on you gary it's it's had a huge impact because we were due to play uh, a an, an
2: eight week run on off broadway new york so that was to happen <clears throat> sort of a quarter of the way through lockdown and you're looking forward to that a year before and so for me i i put my guitar down i'll be honest with you for 3 months because it really took it out of me because i i trained as a furniture maker a wood carver i mm. st- I, I always need to do something with my hands with my mind so i thought you know i'm going to i'm going to park that for now and i'm going to do this but i'm going to continue listening to music whilst mm. I'm making bureaus or tables carving legs those kind of things because it, it's incredibly therapeutic to do that for me mm-hmm. it is you know it's um and it's a good escape so but luckily i do have that escape from my mind but i know a few friends who really really suffered because they don't have an outlet apart from music whereas mm-hmm. i trained originally from the age of 15 with really old cabinet makers you know and wood carvers so it was, it's always something i can go go back to if nobody saw uh covid coming obviously mm-hmm. um you know so i did have an outlet i've got an incredibly supportive wife as well so you yeah. know combined those things are great and i, I sort of cause there's a forest not too far from me so i'd find i would go to the forest with my guitar just trying to ground myself again and trying to fall back in love with music, mm. but if I didn't have that, I I honestly don't know where I would have been really,
0: mm. whether so, I would have fallen yeah. out of
2: love with it, you know
0: Yeah, so we last question, we come out yeah. of lockdown, Paul Simon is still alive he slips into the back of the show you're playing at Brighton Fringe <laughs> um, and then everyone leaves, but he's still there and you, you notice him what, yeah. what What does he say to you Gary, and what do you say to him? What does he say to me? He's, yeah.
2: he's I'll, I'll tell you exactly what he says to me. <laughs> You've thought it up. I've, I've thought we've role played this many times in my have mind. Have you? Yeah, yeah. He he would he would come up to me and tell me that he thought the sh- he thought the show was really good. He was proud that I'd I'd taken it on board. But he would leave it with, if I was you, I would play Kathy's song this way. I would try oh. it this chord, and and it's always it's just something that always stays there in my mind. You know, it's um, mm-hmm. it's still there now from from right today, from even when I started the show. Because I, cause I know that, you know, if you're a songwriter, you would always... It's, it's a cheeky way. It's a cheeky thing, but I just think he's a cheeky guy and I think he'd probably find that amusing and so would I, to be fair.
0: Yeah, and with him still alive and still as prolific, in fact, more prolific than most people half his age, what would you yeah. say to him? Oh, I would... I would, I probably
2: wouldn't let him go. I, I'd, I'd want to know everything and how he wrote... The songbook, how he came to. Obviously, I know how he came to meet Artie. I knew the. Uh, well, a lot of fall, fallings out, but I'd want to know, the the man from the songbook where he he. If you ever listen to the songbook, or get chance if you haven't already, he's really really a man. Sounds like an angry man, who's who wants to be heard. And that's what came across to me, and nobody's listening to him because the song delivery is phenomenal. So I would want to know his passion. Does he still have that passion he had then? Is his desire uh still there? Because obviously he's an older guy, 79, I think 80 in November, if I'm not mistaken. Um so I would want to know those things. I, I'd really I don't think I could sit I could have a one-minute conversation, I'd really want more. From him,
0: I guess it reminds me the image that's just come up is charcoal. It burns really slightly at the start, but then it burns much more in a much more sure way for a long time. But oh, yeah, it's not gone, it? no, 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 not at all, not Mm -hmm. at all. Gary, thanks so much for talking to Fringe Review. Oh, thank you, really appreciate it. I had a fascinating conversation with Chris Grady who you'll often meet at the Edinburgh Fringe and he lives up there but he's down in Brighton doing the classic Airbnb to see some work at Brighton Fringe and during lockdown he was telling me how he is uh, delivering and created his own producers course and people are attending that virtually all over the world and represent uh, the future of some of our producers and their careers in the arts but I was also interested in something he said about venues and I'm sitting in a Fringe venue now you can probably hear in the background which is the Brighton Spiegel tent but he was talking about memories of times past and maybe this still happens in some parts of the world where at the moment most venues um, do not originate anything I mean they're originating food here and they're originating uh, some uh, booze and non-alcoholic drinks but they're playing host and I love the word hosting and um, we can host more or less Uh, Well, and also uh, the people that perform at venues are in some sort of commercial deal with with the venues that are there. But he was, I guess, reminiscing also about the time when more theater companies uh, actually created their venues. So the venues were then originating work. And that created a different dynamic, and I can remember, for example, in Edinburgh, a place called Aurora Nova that took over a venue called St. Stephens, uh, which was slightly off the beaten track in Edinburgh. but they, they inhabited the place they lived, they ran the cafe and it was a place for uh, the theater companies there to collaborate together, learn from each other, and originated work and it put out an energy it put out. Yeah, it's would charisma all around there. the ethos and the creative spirit, not just of the venue, but the venue that had been owned and claimed and transformed by the people making the work. So the venue itself became part of the body of work and you felt that work was originating from it. It sounds like i'm speaking against venues that aren't doing that but no they're just different and the danger of venues that just become a place where you can rent a space is that that original pulse then exists in the theater companies but not necessarily in the venue itself now that i think works when the venue itself has its own personality its own creative restlessness around its space but there's a real danger when venues just become too busy they're just hosting lots of lots of companies that come and leave, um, and, and then they're gone. And that original impulse, that generating of work is gone with them and isn't left behind. And so that's why I think we were looking at when venues become communities and they become homes and risk is shared, and that was the key thing, then the venue itself kind of merges a bit in a good way creatively. You feel that pulse even after a company has gone because it's left behind uh, something it shared in the first place, which is that sense of community and that sense of shared risk. And that's why we were both thinking as we come out of lockdown that that perhaps needs to come back and become part of the venues ethos in the future which isn't just to charge isn't just to rent isn't to get in a deal that's just a bit too clever for its own good commercially but to actually say from the start and profit share is part of it but there are lots of other ways of sharing your destiny and sharing risk with the companies that choose to bring work and I think the audience pick up on that and then there are ways that audiences are coming because they align themselves not just to the show that they're attending but because they want to hang out with the venue and then they kind of share risk too and then that community could become more sustainable Anton is this the best excuse possible um, and also we're joined by Sally but I'm, I'm staying with my mum for the first time in well nearly a year because of Covid and I fell asleep uh, so I apologise for this being a late a late interview. T- Sally tell us who you are Hello,
3: Um just a second. I don't think uh, Anton's connected just yet.
0: It's oh, okay. Yeah. He'll join us. But yeah. We'll, we'll get some noise. This is a very informal chat. So introduce yourself, Sally. Please. Uh,
3: okay. W- when, just a second. Uh, Anton, uh, he's kind of already uh, asking about I'm me, gonna so we're going to hang up, but you, will, you'll pop in soon.
0: There is no editing going on in this wonderful conversation. Come on, Sally. Who are you?
3: Hi, sorry, it, I just had him on uh, on Messenger okay. at the I same heard time, him so I heard him. yeah. Tell but, us uh,
0: about
3: you. Uh, yes, well, uh, I'm uh, Sally Ward. I live in Denmark and um, just kind of a multi-creative person who's involved in the show in the shape of doing like the graphic design and uh, like the, as in like the poster and other promotional material, but also these um, film sequences uh, as part of the show.
0: Because this is a show about magic, but it's not just a plain magic show, is it?
3: Uh, no, it's um, it's got a narrative. Uh, so we're, we're playing a lot with uh, what you can do in a magic show. So it's not just a, a straightforward um, show, but it's got a story and the uh, film sequence sequ- Sorry, the film sequences, which include animation, um, sort of uh, bridge uh, the story, but also interact with the the magic itself.
0: Wow. So how (laughs) on earth do you create something like that? Because, you know, there's a lot of film in shows, but this is actually interacting with magic. Without doing uh, anything yes. away.
3: Yeah, I don't want to get to spoil too much, but, but it is in a, in a little bit of a way, of, of way um, part of, of uh, some reveals that are happening. Um, and, yeah, how do you do that? I don't know. We, we just got some ideas and uh, went with them. Um, and, and, of course, we've been collaborating very closely about how do the two things um, connect.
0: How did you get into making film?
3: Oh, um, good question. It, it, very early on, um, I've always been a huge fan of film. Yeah. I, I started writing when I was about 12. Um, and then I very quickly found out that all, everything I wrote was very visual um, and that I was essentially thinking in, in film. So I, um, I got into f- uh, finding out how you write scripts for film. Um, And then um, uh, that led me to uh, attending something called the European Film College here in Denmark, where I I started out focusing primarily on on script writing, but I ended up uh, directing an animated short film as part of my, um, what do you say, final project at the school. Um, And then it just kind of went from there because then I I discovered animation and fell in love with that. Um, and I had a general interest in film. Um, and, yeah, so uh, I, I've ended up doing much more than I first anticipated.
0: Mm. And, and what's, it, is it, what's your second name, Sally, just so we don't have yours, just Sally? Uh, Sally
3: Ward. Sally, Ward. Um, uh, Sally Anderson Ward. Uh, so I'm half English and half Danish. But hey, I've... But- uh,
0: even if you were fully Danish, Danish people have better English accents than English people. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. I'm often told, yeah. <laughs>
4: uh, and on that note, I've managed to join. Can you hear me? Anton, yes. that was a very delayed
0: entrance, even by your standards.
4: <laughs> yes, I, I like to make a dramatic delayed entrance. Um, yeah, for some reason, my laptop was playing up. So I'm actually doing this on my phone. But it seems okay. It's So
0: Anton... Binder or binder? I haven't I've known you for years, and I still don't I know.
4: What uh, is it? it's, it's binder. B. Uh, it's b i n d e r, but it's pronounced binder. I thought you were going to say it's like bunder or something.
0: You know, yeah. the <laughs> uh, yeah. and, Um Last time we spoke, you were interested in magic. You've kind of. Um, I don't think you have got a through line in your career, have you? But if if it was anything, it would be magic.
4: Uh, magic would would uh, definitely be something that's been a, a, an interest throughout my life in its various um incarnations uh performance art magic um i think that's the through line artiness magical artiness
0: but i go i go back to the days you you probably remember when people were performing live at the the legendary zap club yes Um, your your stuff doesn't usually have a, a beginning a middle and an end in that order yet this sounds like there's a narrative
4: yeah, the, I, I'm, I'm a, uh, a great fan of non-linear narratives, but I have over the years found out that uh, most audiences aren't great fans of non-linear narratives uh, and do like a beginning, middle and end. So, um, yes, I think uh, this latest production, it starts, there's a bit, goes on in the middle and it does have an end. <laughs> what is this? Is this some kind of angry reaction to getting old? <laughs> I think it's uh, no I'm not angry at all I'm just uh, just carrying on carrying on with the magic Paul before we come on to the magic um Sally how was your lockdown
3: oh um it was all right um uh, uh, yeah. you can't have an all
0: right lockdown no. that a bit more dramatic than well
3: that. um I I think I've been very lucky um that I've been able to work from home for example so it's been safe in that way. But of course, uh, as with most people, it's been, it's had its stresses and and whatnot. Um, but I can say that the situation in Denmark has been fairly okay. But we, we, of course, had a second wave just like England did. And right now we're like sort of opening up again, just like England. And it's a little iffy uh, and you don't know where things are going, but I'm really hopeful about just... Things looking brighter.
0: but Lots of performers have told me, particularly around fringe festivals as we come out, that some were completely blocked during lockdown, but others actually have explored with digital and gone into a film. And in some ways, if there's such a thing called gifts from COVID, one was that they made some film, you know, and they Mm. did some writing. Has it been a creative time for you?
3: Uh, yeah, uh, certainly. I mean, um, Anton and I uh, are divided by two countries. So without the uh, magic of technology, we wouldn't have been able to put on something like this. Um, we're not uh, in that way, you know, making a show that's uh, digital. Uh, it's only digital in as much as that that there is a film uh, as part of it, but we're not um, doing like a, a live show. Um, a digital uh, film, or what do you say, a performance in that way. But um, in the production of it, we've certainly utilized the fact that we can work from afar and and things like that.
0: Okay, and Anton, does your work tend to start with an idea or the whole damn
4: thing? (laughs) Um, It often starts with an image. uh, And I'm trying now to think what the image was. I think it was a silver balloon floating out of a box uh, that I had in my head. So you will see that uh, when you come and see the show and uh, when anyone else comes to see the show, hopefully you will. Uh, that's part of it. Um, it was just, in, with this particular show, um, The Secrets of Jack Roulette and the last show I did, it was just an effort to try and present magic in a in a new way. Um, more as a performance or more as a kind of narrative performance than just a guy standing on stage, um, you know, saying, pick a card and then saying, yes, this is your card. So with both uh, this show and the previous one, it, it was it came out of the um, idea that I wanted to find a new way of presenting magic, basically, and still keep the kind of arty performance stuff uh, that I love doing uh, and, and making and, and conjoining the two, and then of course I met Sally, who's a fantastic uh, animated filmmaker. Uh, she's fantastically animated and a filmmaker, <laughs> and uh, then it kind of coalesce, and we've got this kind of—I don't know, Sally. How would you describe the the style of your film?
3: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Surreal. I'm going <laughs> to jump in and say it's
4: kind of uh, expressionistic and film noir and uh, mm. surreal.
3: Okay. Yeah, there's,
0: there, there's some good words, but now, Sally, give us the words behind those words.
3: <laughs> the words behind those words. Uh, yeah. So mm, surreal, uh, I, uh, experimental, I guess, uh, in in as much that I'm trying to use different animation techniques. Um and just to sound really pretentious, uh, the whole, uh, how can you say, it? It, it's really rather straightforward because, you know, what is magic? Magic is the art of illusion. And film very much lends itself to that concept as well because it's illusion and 24 images. Um, so its it felt really right to combine the two.
0: Okay, but so Anton, there's that word magic. Um, and in the many years that I've been, with Fringe Review, seeing magic shows, talking to magicians and conjurers and illusionists and so on. Uh, there are magicians like um, Paul Zenon, who I just yeah. think is superb, but yeah. will absolutely ju- ride on the bandwagon of atheism. Uh, you know, there is no real, uh, you know, spiritual, esoteric stuff, and magic proves it because you can reproduce uh, illusion and sh- show us how we can believe in stuff. And then there's this secret behind it that can be, you know, fashioned with engineering and suggestion and even, you know, all kinds of other stuff. The other end are magicians who see the very fact that you can create magic as the, um, the, the kind of lobby for the esoteric, the lobby for the fact that the very fact that we can do this, it's like a gateway to uh, the fact that we can even imagine the illusion means that there's probably something spiritual and they draw on those traditions and turning base metal into
4: gold and all of that. Where are you, sir, along that line? Well, it, I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> That's a very long but uh, cogent question because my interest in magic um as in stage magic, illusion, close-up magic, cards, coins, etc., came from a childhood love of magic. And I think all little kids uh, love the idea that magic might be real. I mean, that's why Harry Potter is such a popular franchise. Um, and Disney and all of that stuff. Yeah, It was my childhood desire to believe in magic that never really left me. And then the possibility that, as you say, you can reproduce something that looks like magic but maybe isn't using, you know, uh, careful manipulation of objects, sleight of hand, um, mentalism. Um, so I'm interested in that. But Sally and I also do a podcast where we talk about magic. I don't know if you want to talk about that, Sal. Uh,
3: sure. Um, there was something I was going to say. Uh that oh oh, i just want to add that there's also a hint of esoteric magic in the show uh kind of loosely at least there's uh, a a magic scenario happening in the story of the show at the same time but yes um we happen to be interested in both subjects so we've actually been developing a uh, podcast of our own that we kind of hope uh can premiere about the end of June, beginning of July, is called the Hall of Mirrors podcast, and in it, uh, Anton and I discuss the concept of magic in all its facets. Um, so, and for us, it's it's a little strange because we we are very very interested in esoteric magic and open to it and in a sense believe in it. Um, but for us, it's not so different than art creation it really goes hand in hand the two um so the the same state you get in when you create a piece of art and you're like conjuring up something from non-existence into reality is not so unlike the experience you might have when you're practicing esoteric magic um, well, so whether,
0: yeah. go on
3: uh, yeah so whether or not um it's real uh isn't really the point you are still getting the same kind of effect
4: that's right and very much it's very much um a theme of the show uh which is uh which talks about what's the difference between magic and magic and of course the way i say it you can't see that one of those words has got a k at the end <laughs> but anyway magic and magic um what fascin-
0: oh, my, my, mine ends in the q u e yeah, magique. <laughs> just, just to, um, um, just to also um, <laughs> offer up the notion that you find in the Western, you know, spiritual es- esoteric tra- magic traditions is one of the faculties of of true magic is imagination. You actually have yeah. to use the same mm-hmm. way of making stuff up that isn't real uh, to be able to use that faculty to make stuff up that is real because it was there before. And before I get into too many too much problems, um, as we come to the end of this chat. Um, Oh, me, we're at 15 minutes already. Um, <laughs> Anton, um, you're probably one of the people I know that will not use him the word amazing when describing his Fringe show because you right. don't need to. So just what's oh. the invitation, the gentle invitation for people to come
4: and see your show at Brighton Fringe? Thank you very much, Paul. That was very kind of you to say so. Um, I would love people to come and see this show. Um The audience is uh, very much a part of the show. It's not really audience participation. Obviously, all magic has an element of audience participation in it. But the the basic uh, framework of the show is that Jack Roulette, the character I'm playing, Um, has lost his glamorous assistant, has gone in search of her and has disappeared into a recurring nightmare where he has to perform the same show over and over and over again every night. And the job of the audience who are playing the audience in his dream is to create a totally random moment of unpredictability to snap him out of the dream. So do come along and help rescue Jack Roulette.
0: Perfect. I'm not going to put the show dates and details. We'll put that below this so that this has a timeless quality because it's going to be playing probably in Christiana or somewhere else in Copenhagen <laughs> and lots of other places around the world. So Sally and Anton, thanks for talking to Fringe Review. Thank you, Thank Paul. Thank
3: you. Bye. Nice. Bye.
0: So that's the end of this episode of the Fringe and Review. And the sun has burst forth here in Claybury Park up in Essex. And uh, I'm still enjoying visiting my mum, who's 83 the first time in about I don't know seven or eight months and being away from Brighton always is a double-edged sword really because some part of me is always glad to get away from Brighton and there's a good reason this time to see family but also it's not long before I miss that journey back down on a socially distant safe train in this case back down to Brighton when I step out of Brighton station and look down towards the sea I'm always glad to be home And uh, some people have told me that when you move to Brighton, it doesn't matter if you leave it again. Almost everybody always comes back, whatever they say. They are going to leave and travel and see the world, but they're back. Um, Apparently that's true, and certainly that's true of lots of people I know. But another potential trip, of course, for Fringe Review is up to the Edinburgh Fringe, alongside other Fringe festivals. And it's right in the news now, it was just a week ago, that Shona McCarthy, who's Chief Executive of of Edinburgh Fringe, was making a plea, almost an ultimatum to the government, that if it didn't uh, cut the social distancing in the arts from two metres, or a metre and a half to one, um, as is allowed currently up there with the hospitality sector, and uh, on this, big parts of Scotland are having pubs opening today, and you'll be able to get a meal and go indoors and meet indoors. If they can't change it, the Edinburgh Fringe is unlikely to happen this year, and after two years of being cancelled... Uh, it, it may cancel itself and have to shut down. And some part of me is very sad about that. I don't know enough about what's going on in Scotland. I know cases are rising around the UK again. And uh, yet there's also this notion we're all being vaccinated and it might be there were far less people that will go to hospital. There's all of that narrative around. But some part of me that I'm sure the fringe might see, the official fringe might see as a negative part of me, also wonders if it did all shut down. Is that the end of the fringe? No, it's the end of the fringe, you know, TM. It's the end of the corporate fringe that exists now with some huge venues. But as soon as it was allowed, because of that history, a fringe would arrive again in Edinburgh. It would start small and probably it would grow, but maybe not, maybe we've learned lessons around sustainability, maybe a better fringe will emerge. And maybe some things do have to collapse for other things to occur. It's happening in nature all the time uh, to have that constant breathing where I'm sitting now. You know, not everything lasts forever. So we have to ask why things should last forever. There have to be good traditional reasons. There has to be a rhythm that we do this regularly, but it's not just a unconscious, compulsive, um, self-seeking repetition. So I make my appeal here to the Edinburgh Fringe and other fringes to think deeply and humbly Um, and hopefully you're not just looking to get back to where you were because where you were was problematic even by your own admission. So some part of me of course doesn't want the fringe to collapse and die but some other part of me does want space to open for a fringe on this fringe which was and maybe again will just be monstrously huge. As we come to the end of the Fringe in Review, I'm certainly aware that some shows are back for the 20th time as soon as it was possible with the same show, some with a new show but in the same genre. And other people have definitely told me, and as you'll hear on future episodes, in some ways COVID did them creatively some good because it thwarted them and stopped them. And in some cases it made them stop doing what they were doing, which opened up a space for something new.